you today, please open to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We're continuing our series on the Psalms. Looking at Psalm 51, if you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Pray with me, please. God, as we come to your word, we recognize it is the very word of the living God, exactly what you would want us to hear, exactly what you have spoken, Father. It's God-breathed. Bless this time, we pray, as we, as we look at your word and study it. Father, work in our hearts and minds, repentance, if that is what is needed in our hearts today. Teach us, Lord, the story of David and remind us of your restoration and plan for our sins. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. That's a reminder to everyone, be sure if, if you have your bulletin, use this bulletin as we go through the sermon. On the left side of it, you'll find the sermon outlined. I pray that that's a help and an aid to you as we walk through this text today. But as we mentioned, we are studying the Psalms. We're going to put a slide up here in just a moment. But the theme of our series is that the Psalms cover the whole spectrum of life. The whole spectrum of life. They take us from the high mountaintops to the deep valleys. For instance, in some Psalms, you're going to have someone coming to God who is on the mountaintop of joy, and he is just praising God in that mountaintop experience. And other Psalms, you're going to find it's the person who's in the depths, in the depths of despair. He's calling out to God in a time of need, in a time of trial. So you're going to see as we look at all these psalms, they take you from the mountaintops to the valleys. And the psalms give speech to our existence in the world. 
They cover the full spectrum of life, all of human experiences, all of human emotions. We've seen and learned there are different types of psalms. We talked about this several weeks ago. There's hymns, laments, psalms of confidence, thanksgiving psalms, psalms of remembrance, messianic psalms that point to Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 19. You remember that? Psalm 19 is what's called a wisdom psalm. It's a wisdom psalm because it focuses on God's revelation and His law. If you recall, Psalm 19 talked about the heavens declaring the glory of God, that nature gives us a picture of God's revelation of His power, that creation testifies to a Creator, that the law of God is perfect in reviving the soul, that the Word of God is God's revelation to us. It's a wisdom psalm. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 46. That was a psalm of confidence. If you remember, the opening of that psalm said this, The Lord is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist was confident in trusting God and God alone. Last week, Hunter preached Psalm 90. Now, Psalm 89 was a royal psalm, and flowing out of Psalm 89, Psalm 90 was a psalm of protection, teaching us that God is our dwelling place. If you recall, the first line of Psalm 90 was, Lord, you are my dwelling place in all generations. But today, we're looking at yet another type, another genre of the Psalms. And it's the genre of lament. Psalm 51 is a lament psalm. Well, what is a lament? A lament is a cry to God in a time of suffering, in a time of trial, something difficult. Now, in the Bible, there's two types of laments. There's what's called a, a communal lament, which means the whole community of Israel collectively together is calling out to God in a time of trial. But there's also an individual lament. That means one person coming to the Lord and calling out to God. Well, you've probably guessed it by now. Psalm 51 is an individual lament. This is King David. This is King David's lament. This is David calling out to God for help in his own personal trial. Now, Blair read the text a moment ago. Thank you for your patience and listening to that text. But David got himself into a mess, didn't he? He got himself into an absolute mess. There was a terrible situation with Bathsheba and Uriah. So what is David's response to that situation from 2 Samuel 11? We find his response in the Psalms. Psalm 51 is David's personal lament to the Lord, calling out to God in a time of need. So before we enter into diving through those verses of Psalm 51, let's first do this. Let's jump back to 2 Samuel 11. Let's see the context, the story that Blair read to us a moment ago, because we can't understand this psalm until we understand the context. So let's first of all look at the background from 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
As Blair read to us a moment ago, this chapter tells us that David chose not to go to war with Joab, didn't he? He decided to stay home. David was walking on the roof of the king's house, the Bible says, and he looked over and he saw a woman bathing. And in his eyes, that woman was beautiful. So he went to find out about her. Tell me who this is. Well, he found out this is Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So David, without even pondering that, immediately sent for her, and we know what happened. He broke the great commandment. He committed adultery. And a few weeks later, the Bible says that Bathsheba sent word back to David, David, I'm with child. What are you going to do? Well, David had a decision to make, didn't he? Would he repent? Or would he try to cover up his actions? Well, that particular day, he thought only of himself. He decided to cover up his actions. David sent for Uriah to come home. Come home, Uriah. Come to Jerusalem. So Uriah shows up and David talks to him and persuades him, Uriah, you need to go home. Just go home and spend time with your wife and family. Go home. But Uriah was an honorable man. And what did he say to the king? He said, How in the world can I go home when my brothers are over there at war? When they're fighting, they're camping in the open fields. I can't go home. So David pressed the issue. He made him drunk. Hoping that this plan would make Uriah go home to Bathsheba. But the Bible says even in his drunken condition, he did not go home. So yet again, David had another choice to make. It's the same question. What would he do? Would he repent? Or would he try to cover up his actions? He still pressed hard this way. He thought only of himself. He sent word to Joab. He said, put Uriah in the front lines where the battle is most fierce. You see, even though Uriah showed great devotion to David, to great devotion to his country, David totally exploited Uriah's devotion. He exploited his loyalty. In David's heart and his mind, he said, if Uriah is not going to help me with my plan to cover this up, then I will force Uriah into a position where he will surely die. And that's exactly what happened. But as you know, the Bible story doesn't stop there, does it? I had Blair read just to the end of chapter 11, but there's a chapter 12. Let's read what happens next. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through the beginning of 7. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, he grew it up with him and with his children. 
It used to eat of, the mor- of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, whom was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the land fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. The first thing I want us to remember is do you realize who Nathan was talking to? He was talking to the king. He wasn't just talking to anybody. He was talking to the king. And if the king wanted, he could have disposed with Nathan. What a, what a bold man, huh? What a bold man. You are the man, King David. You are the man. And at that moment, once again, David had a decision to make, right? Would he, would he repent or would he continue pushing his own agenda? And that, beloved, is what brings us to our text today. That's what brings us to Psalm 51. Because God used Nathan in David's life. He used a man pointing his finger at him and telling him the truth to bring him to his knees. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. And there was, a, there was fruit in his life that showed his devotion to God because David ultimately repented of his sin. So let's look at that second point today. David's confession found in the first six verses of Psalm 51. I'm not going to reread the six verses, but I want you to notice something with me. In verses 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 51, five different times David owns his sin. I want you to see the ownership of David in verses 1 through 3. Five different times he uses the word my. In verse 1, he says, my transgression. In verse 2, he says, my iniquity, my sin. In verse 3, he says, my transgression, my sin. A few days ago, I asked Michael, I said, can we sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us this Sunday? Because there was a line in that song we sang a moment ago that I want it to resonate in your ears. There's a line that says, it was my sin that held him there. My sin. You see, to have repentance, there has to be an ownership of sin. And listen, there's not one person on earth that loves to own their sin. We love to point the finger, don't we? Do you realize how soon that started in the life of humanity? It was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and when God came to them, what's the first thing Adam did? She made me do it. The woman you gave me, Lord, she gave me the fruit. It's 
It's her fault. And when Eve was asked about it, what did she do? The serpent beguiled me, Lord. No one likes to own their sin. Hey, parents, have you ever caught your child in a sin and asked them about it? And they immediately want to do what? Maybe point the finger at little brother, big brother, big sister, little sister. They want to point the finger at someone else. Do you know why our children do that? Because they get it from us. Because we do that. We don't want to own it. We want someone else to own responsibility for our sin. But do you see David's ownership? You see, David's ownership of his sin brings us to recognizing a change. There's now a change in what David is saying and what David is doing. You see, back in 2 Samuel 11, what was the thing David wanted to do? He wanted to answer one question, how can I cover my tracks? Instead of owning it, how can I cover my tracks? Let me get Uriah to go home. Let me get Uriah drunk. Let me get Uriah on the battlefield in the front lines because that way I can cover my tracks. I won't have to own anything. Nathan says, you're the man. You're the man. And it brings David to his knees because now he's not saying, how can I cover my tracks? He's saying here, how can I have treated God like this? There was a change. There was a change in his heart. He had been going this way. Now he's going this way. By the way, that's the definition of repentance. The definition of repentance is someone who's walking one way. And that person does a U-turn, a 180, and he's walking the other. It's a person that's walking towards his own sin, and then he turns from it because he owns it. He wants to own it and then turn from it and then turn to Christ. And you know, David could have made excuses, couldn't he? Think about, let's think about some of the excuses he could have made. He could have said, you know what? This is all Bathsheba's fault. She was taking a bath in the wrong place at the wrong time. Doesn't she know that I can see her? It's her fault. He could have said, this is Uriah's fault. I told him to go home. I told him twice to go home. Why didn't he go home? If he'd have listened to me and gone home, this would not be an issue. It's his fault. He could have said, you know what, this is all Joab's fault. Yeah, I know I counseled Joab on what to do, but he's the military leader. It was his responsibility that Uriah died. This is, this is Joab's fault. He could have pointed the finger. Don't we do that all the time, sometimes? Husbands in our own marriages, don't we say, oh, it's our wife's fault for this or that. When it's, we really just know it's ours. Wives might be guilty as well. This is his fault instead of mine. Students, how about this? You get a bad grade on a test. What do you say? Oh, that teacher doesn't like me. Yeah. It's the teacher's fault that I got a bad grade because that teacher is out to get me. It's not because I didn't study. He's out to get me. We do that stuff all the time. How about this one? It's the government's fault. It's society's fault. 
Where does repentance start? It starts with ownership. It's mine, David says. It's mine. And Lord, before you, I acknowledge that. And then he gets to the point where he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. What does that mean? Because I'll guarantee there's some people in here saying, hey, Bathsheba was sinned against. (laughs) Uriah was sinned against. When David says that, it doesn't mean that what he did didn't trouble the life of Bathsheba and Uriah. It certainly did to a great extent. What it means is, is that when he committed adultery, he didn't break Bathsheba's law, he broke God's law. When he committed murder, he didn't break Uriah's law, he broke God's law against murder. His greatest violation was against a holy God. So we see David's confession, we see his ownership. That takes us now to our third point, David's appeal. He appeals to God. Have down there verses 1 and 2, 7 and 9. In those verses, I want you to look for these appeals that God makes to God, or David makes to, uh, to God. He says things like this, God, have mercy. Blot out. God, wash me. Purge me. Then in verses 8 and 9, he repeats it, wash me. Blot out. He's appealing. He's asking God for something. God, I need you to do something for me. Now, here's the question. Why would David need that? Wasn't he a powerful man? Wasn't he king? Why would he need to depend on someone else when he's the king? I mean, he can do anything he wants. He's the king. You see, right here in these appeals... David learned the limits of his own humanity. David learned the limits of his own depravity. He realized he could not cleanse himself from sin. We're going to put two verses on the screen right now. One is Jeremiah 2.22. One is a verse from our text today, Psalm 51.7. I want us to do a comparison of these two verses. First, let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. Psalm 51, 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now let's leave these verses up here for a minute as I tell you this story. Back in the mid-90s, I got a shirt, and it's become one of my favorite shirts, and I'd wear it all the time. It's been a long time since the mid-90s. doesn't fit as well as it did back then, but I still wear it. Here's the problem. You see, over all those years, this shirt that I have, it's gotten all these stains on it, stain after stain. And it's one of those shirts where it doesn't matter how many times you put it in the washing machine and the dryer, that every time it goes to the cycle, you get the shirt out, and guess what you see? You see the stain. Please tell me someone has a shirt or a pair of pants like that. Yes, okay. But here's the thing. I love to wear that shirt, and it's a little bit ripped and as well as stained. The problem for me is that Deirdre hates when I wear that shirt. 
we'd be getting ready to go somewhere. I'd have this shirt on. She's like, you're going to change, right? I'm like, why? The stains, the rips. We don't want other people to see that, right? Take it off. Change clothes. And I'm like, I'm so comfortable in my stained shirt. I don't want to take it off, right? Now, every time I see that shirt, I think about that shirt, I think about Jeremiah 2.22. Because I continually wash the shirt over and over and over and over. And every time I get it out, the stain is still there. And this shirt teaches us a great lesson, or this verse and the shirt teaches us a great lesson about our own sinfulness. Because the Bible says, if you and I tried to get our own sin off of us, if we used the best soap you could possibly imagine, and we scrubbed and we tried to get the stain of our guilt off of our lives, guess what? When we're done with our own personal wash cycle and we show our lives to the Lord, guess what he sees? The stain of our guilt shows through. You can't get rid of it. No matter what you do, use the best soap in the world. This verse declares to us, the stain of your guilt is still before me, says God. And right here in this text, David understands that. That's why he calls out to God. That's why he says, have mercy, God. You blot out my sin. You wash me. You purge me. Because he understood in verse 7, our next verse, he says, Lord, if you purge me with hyssop, I will be clean. God, if you wash me, not if I wash me, if you wash me, if you blot it out, if you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. The only way for your life and my life to be cleaned up from the mess of sin is to call upon God to wash our sin away. And that brings us, beloved, to this final point. This final point is that restoration, forgiveness of sin, restoration is done by God and God alone. Look at verse 10 of your text today. David says this, create in me a clean heart, O God. There's something special about that word create. In the Old Testament, this word create is the word in Hebrew, bara. I want you to know that this word create is used exclusively of God and God alone. That only God can create this type of creation. So what David is telling us when he's using this verb is this is not something that he can do. This is not something that someone else can do. It's only something God can do. You see, at this point, it doesn't matter that David is a king. Because David, like every mere man, has limitations. And he cannot create a clean heart. He can try to wash, 
but the stain of the guilt is still before God. So he says, God, will you, will you, the sovereign God, create in me a heart that is clean? Then he moves on in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do another comparison here. Do you notice back in verses 1 through 3, we have the word my, right? My sin, my transgression, my fault. And now by the end here in verse 12, he's not talking about his sin. He's talking about God and God's salvation that can cleanse his heart from sin. And right here, beloved, is where the gospel is ushered into the sermon. Because the Bible tells us that salvation was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was applied to us by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Because just like David, just like David, if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves to be sinners in the sight of God. That there is none righteous, no, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the question comes to us today, will we own that? Can we sing the song, it was my sin that held him there? Or are we going to point the finger at everybody else and say, it's their fault that I'm like this? The Bible says we need to own it. So the Bible teaches us we need to own it so that it can tell us the good news. What's the good news of salvation? That God showed his love for us in this. That while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the gospel. That's the greatest thing I could ever tell you. That while we're sinners, Christ died for you and me. You see, all the sin that was in my life, that was in David's life, that was in your life, was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says he was not a sinner. Was he a man? Yes, but he knew no sin. He was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And being fully God and fully man, he went to the cross, and all of our sin was put on him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he says to you today that your heart, your life can be wiped clean. That it can be whiter than snow. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. That's why David calls out to God, God, I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to take away my sin. Beloved, we need Jesus. Because when we wash ourselves, the stain's still there. But when Christ washes our sins by his blood, we're whiter than snow. Only God can create in us a clean heart. As we conclude this morning, several things that we can learn from this psalm, several truths. The first one's this. 
do we understand that our position in life never excuses sin? David was as high as you can get in his position. And at first, he sought to use other people, to use other circumstances, right? To make himself look right, to hide his own faults. And the Lord brought him to his knees to the point where he owned his own sin. So the first question for this is, have we, have we owned it? Or are we still trying to blame someone else? Secondly, do we understand that only God, only God can make that heart clean? Have you asked the Lord to wash away your sin? Or are you still trying to wash it away yourself? If you're trying to wash it away yourself, remember that old shirt. Remember that wash cycle. And if you have an old shirt, you remember that every time you see it. If you wash yourself with lye, if you use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. But if Jesus washes you, if God washes you with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says your sin, your soul will be whiter than snow. Maybe you're here today and you've been in church maybe your entire life and you've never understood exactly what Christ has done for you and what sin has to do with Jesus. This is, this is it. Our sin held Jesus on the cross. His blood was shed to cover and forgive our sin. And you can have that forgiveness not because of what you do or going to church or saying Bible verses. You can have that by faith in Jesus Christ. Have you believed upon him? Do you know him as Savior and Lord? If you don't, go to him today. Confess your sin. Pray the same prayer David prayed. Lord, wash me and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me that clean heart, O oh God. And if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, are you caught up in a sin, maybe like David was? Good men can fall. Good men can fall. If that's you, I encourage you, go to the Lord. Don't try to put up a plan. Go to the Lord. Get that right with him. Let's walk honorably before our God. Pray with me, please.